morning at 6.30. We'll do it all over again. My name is Jason Dole, and that's who I'm saying. I'm the one who will be back here. We'll do this again tomorrow. Uh, local edition, local news and information, keeping you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. You want to stay tuned because we've got Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel coming right up. From river to river, mountain to mountain, we are Radio Catskill. Just a reminder that uh, there is a chance of rain tonight. Rain showers mainly in the evening. After that, it'll be mostly cloudy and a bit cooler. Overnight low down around 40 tomorrow. Partly cloudy with a high of 57. And clouds continuing tomorrow night with overnight lows in the mid-30s. Support for this past hour came from Van Gorder's Furniture featuring Lodge and Adirondack Styles as well as Rustic Collections and Showrooms, Lake Wampawpik, Downtown, Honesdale, Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. And support for the next hour comes from the Women's Health Center, Honesdale, Hamlin, Waymark, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians, certified midwives who deliver Women's Health Center as a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center, WMH.org. Now it's time for Trailer Talk. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The Common Waters Partnership says this about the Upper Delaware River watershed. The Delaware River is a vital economic and recreational resource. Basin-wide systems of forests, streams, and wetlands provide habitat for many important wildlife species. It is the only undammed river east of the Mississippi and provides drinking water to over 15 million people, including the cities of New York and Philadelphia. This exceptional waterway is threatened by development. In the last two decades, approximately 20 acres of forest are lost each day in the Upper Basin. The following conversation takes place in the Upper Delaware River watershed. I'm Wynne Olson, and I have a house on the Lackawaxen River in Rowland, Pennsylvania, which is in Lackawaxen Township. I've been coming up here all my life. Um, my grandfather bought this property in 1922. I started coming up here for summers when I was three months old, and uh, I've been coming up ever since. Uh, my grandparents had a cottage on this property that was unfortunately uh, swept away in the 1955 flood, but uh, our family loved it so much up here. We came back the following summer and rented a place, and then in 1968, my parents retired and sold their house in New Jersey and built their retirement home here. I've been enjoying my place on the Lackawaxen ever since. We are looking at a magnificent river, the Lackawaxen River, and it's incredible to see it right in front of us, right outside your kitchen window. Could you describe for us what we're seeing right now and your connection? Well, I've always loved the Lackawaxen River. Uh, as a child, I learned how to swim in the Lackawaxen. I went tubing. I made friends up here during the summers, and we just had so much fun and felt so free up here. And now, even today, I look at the Lackawaxen every morning when I wake up. I take my coffee out onto my deck and uh, look at the river, and I, I love just listening to it and looking at the rapids. And also, I have, seems like especially this summer, Every day I see an eagle or two and sometimes even a heron alight on a rock across the river and uh, look for a fish. Last week I saw an eagle with its two fledglings catch a fish in its talon 
and then fly upstream to its nest, which is just about a quarter of a mile up the river from here. And when today, because we've had so much rain the last couple of days in this area, the river is muddy and churling and really racing by, how does that shift? And do you keep track of that? Do you have a relationship with the changes of the Lackawaxen River? Every day I look at the river and uh, it changes sometimes every day. Like last night we had a terrible, actually rather exciting (laughs) rainstorm and thunderstorm. So today as I gaze at the river it's very muddy. In a day or two it'll be clear again and uh, beautiful. Where is the Lackawaxen River going? I'm watching it right now, head downstream. Uh, The Lackawaxen is a tributary of the Delaware River, and so my place is about five miles up from Lackawaxen, where Lackawaxen River joins the Delaware. So I have close connections to the Delaware River, too. Several years ago, I joined the National canoe safety patrol and uh, I've been out on a kayak a couple of times with the canoe safety patrol on the upper Delaware to uh, make sure that people going out in rafts and canoes and kayaks are wearing their life vests. I have throughout my childhood I have uh, tubed down the Lackawaxen but I thought it would be fun to kayak as well. So when you were talking about your lifelong relationship with the Lackawaxen River, your history here, and you mentioned that cup of coffee and taking it out to the river, what happens to you when you do that? If you can take us to the river's edge. When I get up in the morning to take my cup of coffee out to my deck, and then sometimes I walk down the path to right to the river and, and sit on a rock down there. I never do that without being amazed at my good fortune and being in such a beautiful place. Right across the river from me is this big rock. I have uh, looked at that rock since I was three years old. When I was a little girl, I thought of it as a bear, so I call it a bear rock, but it has been a constant in my life. I think about that rock even in the wintertime when I'm not in Rowland or not by the Lackawaxen, but that is a constant. And behind the rock on the other shore, there's a railroad track. When I was a child, the train, a little freight train came through uh, once or twice a day. And when we were, my friends and I were in the river, we would wave at the train and then wave at the man in the caboose. Beyond the railroad track is a mountain with some uh, stone cliffs, and uh, so it's very private and bucolic here. You mentioned the constancy of this river, of this landscape, this natural landscape. What does that mean as you get older? What does that mean to have that kind of constancy, to see bare rock, which is in the Lackawaxen River, even when you're not here? The environment is probably the most important thing in my life and in terms of well beyond Rowland and beyond the Lackawaxen I just feel that um, the natural world is the most precious the most precious thing we have and it's important so important to protect it and I guess the natural world is for me epitomized by the Lackawaxen River and my place on it. When I think of nature, I think of and what has to be protected, I feel that the Lackawaxen River is the embodiment of the natural world for me. And the natural world is the most precious gift that people on earth have. I like to do my small part by helping to protect the Lackawaxen River It's uh, wildlife, and uh, it's surrounding watershed. How are you involved with the conservation of the Lackawaxen River? I have been a member of the Lackawaxen River Conservancy since its inception in 
2001, and I was president of it uh, for two years. One of those years was 2010, when the Lackawaxen River was named Pennsylvania River of the Year, something we were very proud of. Through the Conservancy, we have tried to make people aware of the precious resource they have right in their backyard. We have had programs to educate people on threats to the river through various sources of pollution from agricultural runoff, from runoff from the roads, and uh, also from development issues. We're not opposed to development, but want to be sure that it is done in an environmentally conscious way. One of the issues that we have been especially uh, vigilant about in past years is uh, the invasive species that uh, have uh, invaded our uh, the riverbanks, uh, particularly Japanese knotweed. We've had several uh, public demonstrations about how to deal with that noxious weed. And we've also had public information programs on um, pipelines, natural gas pipelines in the area, and what homeowners and local residents can do about mitigating the environmentally destructive aspects of those pipelines going through our um, areas and also especially across the Lackawaxen River and across wetlands within the Lackawaxen River watershed. In, I think it was 2011, the Tennessee gas pipeline crossed the Lackawaxen River uh, about, well, three miles up from Lackawaxen. A wide swath of land was cleared on both sides of the river, and the the pipeline was built in an environmentally insensitive but economically expedient way. Now, three years later, the vegetation is just barely coming back on the um, riverbanks. Uh, fishermen have told me that they can't fish below that pipeline crossing because the fish's gills are filled with mud. The fish can't get to the macroinvertebrates that they feed on because they're covered with mud. The course of the river along the bank, I understand, has changed a little bit and might be causing some erosion. And uh, it's uh, the way the pipelines are threading across the landscape is a big concern to me and to to others uh, who were even more directly affected by it. And last year, a gathering line was built across a wetland that is in the Lackawaxen River watershed up near, um, I think it's called Whitehall, which is in within Lackawaxen Township, but it went right across a well-established wetland that was my understanding would be protected from anything like that. So that's a concern to me. The pipelines and that Tennessee gas pipeline has gone all across Pike County down to the Delaware. It has destroyed countless acres of forest and old growth trees and can never be restored to its natural beauty. And when thank you for sharing that. What is it about your relationship with your home, with this location on the Lackawaxen River, and also your involvement, your membership, you're the former president of the Lackawaxen River Conservancy, with your understanding of this ecology, of the value of where you live and this river and this landscape? I have enjoyed this river and the landscape all my life. It It's really unique, I think. There aren't so many places left in especially the Northeast. Basically pristine river and uh, beautiful forests and uh, river valleys. And uh, I would feel very bad if it were not passed on to future generations to enjoy and also protect. I'm the third generation 
here and uh, I have a niece and nephews who also love it here. So they're the fourth generation and now the fifth generation was just first representative of the fifth generation was born <laughs> a year ago and already he has dipped his toes in the Lackawaxen River. I often see turkeys. Sometimes they fly over to my side of the river from the mountain across the river and uh, then they strut across across my lawn. Uh, I always like to see them. They kind of remind me of a little uh, parade of monks because they're so quiet and with their dark bodies, they just quietly go across across the lawn as if they were um, meditating. I have some yellow flag irises that are native to this region, and I'm trying to cultivate them even more to so that they crowd out the um, the knotweed. I have wild flocks in the spring, purple and white wild flocks. I, th- I think that's what they're called. Uh, I have uh, lilies. I always called them tiger lilies, the orange lilies that we see along the roadsides. And um, big willow tree down by the river. It has withstood so many flood episodes, but it seems to be doing fine. Tall oak trees that I think my grandfather planted in 1922 that are uh, are still thriving along the river. There are sycamore trees and locust trees and a few birch trees. So I had uh, quite a few yellow finches and uh, morning doves, blue jays, fish jumping. And I always like to see fishermen behind my house. It makes my river seem even more special to me when I see other people enjoying it and also, of course, taking care of it. My little section of the river is uh, popular with local fishermen, and sometimes I talk to them, and they just seem so at one with the river, and they just enjoy being in the river, whether they catch fish or not. Uh, One issue in uh, recent years has been um, increased turbidity, of the river, uh, particularly in uh, late August. And that was caused by uh, the PPNL, Pennsylvania Power and Light, the owners of the uh, dam up in, uh, at Lake Wallenpawpack. There had been so many complaints about the odor of uh, hydrogen sulfide in this part of the Lackawaxen River. And it was due to, forgot the uh, biological reason, the cause of the uh, cause of uh, hydrogen sulfide has something to do with the lack of ac- oxygen at the bottom of uh, the lake when they take water from the lake to release it to generate power. Um, so in order to mitigate that uh, very strong at times smell of uh, hydrogen sulfide, at, and, and also at the behest of the Conservancy, uh, PPNL installed an aerator that would uh, send oxygen down to the bottom of the lake, but that brought up all kinds of um, uh, dead, dead matter, dead algae from the bottom of the lake, and uh, that caused the turbidity of the water. So we got rid of the odor, but uh, in exchange we got uh, more green water very often in, um, in the river during, during August. This year it hasn't been much of a problem though, thank goodness. And I have spoken with a representative of the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission and he said the fish are healthy, the turbidity doesn't seem to bother the fish. You seem to be addressing when is the river is alive, that it's constantly changing. It's always interacting with its environment. Also, I love the, I love drinking my coffee in the morning and looking at the Lackawaxen. But in the evening, uh, early evening, I love to 
ride my bicycle up along the towpath at such a beautiful time of the day when the sun is uh, going down behind the mountain and the the water is glistening in the Lekowax. and But uh, recently, especially last summer, I was horrified when I noticed that uh, all of the vegetation along the uh, towpath, along the Lackawaxen, both on the riverside and also on the canal side, was uh, had been sprayed with herbicide and all of the vegetation, even some of the trees, were brown. And PennDOT has informed me that it's cheaper to douse the vegetation with herbicide than to cut it down. Uh, and they said they were doing that to, for the safety of uh, motorists and pedestrians. But I have tried, I have called a number of PennDOT offices to find out, one, what herbicides they're using, and two, I understand there's a no-spray list that residents can sign uh, to uh, have to prevent PennDOT from spraying on their property. But it has been impossible for me to find out how they can go about doing that. So that's, and also it concerns me that the runoff from the herbicide could go into the river and other uh, wetlands. When was the Lackawaxen River Conservancy started? The, the Conservancy was uh, formed in 2001. Uh, by a group of uh, local citizens. It's a volunteer, totally volunteer organization. And uh, so it was it was established to uh, by local citizens to protect the Lackawaxen River, its watershed, and the wildlife that it protects. I hope that uh, other people will be able to enjoy the Lackawaxen River and this beautiful area and also appreciate that it needs to be cared for and protected, but also enjoyed. And the more people who enjoy it, I feel, the more people will protect it and care for it and appreciate it.
And with Wynn Olson on the banks of the Lackawaxen River, we're standing right next to it. And uh, hi, I'm Wynn Olson. And yes, we're standing by the Hemlocks, which is our old swimming hole in Rowland, PA, uh, in, uh, on the Lackawaxen River. And uh, this is a place where people have come for generations to go swimming. And uh, this is in uh, the stretch of uh, the, the towpath along the Lackawaxen called Little Norway because a number of Norwegian families came up here in the early 20th century and bought property up here because it reminded them of their homeland in Norway. And one of those people were my grandfather and, uh, and also my, my maternal grandma, grandfather and my paternal grandfather both came up here uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And my maternal grandfather bought the property along the Lackawaxen that not that I now own. And so I am the third generation to enjoy this place and my nephews and niece also enjoy this place and my little eight-month-old grandnephew enjoyed putting his toes in the Lackawaxen River too. So he's the fifth generation who will enjoy this place. So when these steps almost look like they're a secret, even though they're on the side of the road, <laughs> they're, they're carved out here on the bank of, of the Lackawaxen River. And I see this beautiful cascading waterfall on the other side, on the other bank. So would you swim from this side to that side? You could talk about this swimming hole. Oh, yes. Uh, actually, years ago on weekends, there may have been 50 kids and their parents here swimming and we would swim across the river. And years ago, somebody had gotten an old railroad tie and made a diving board that we would jump off of. So the river is quite still and deep here. And how long is the swimming season in this river? Well, I guess from the end of May till the first week or two in September. But uh, then people enjoy it uh, on kayaks and canoes for a longer period of time. Thank you, Wynn. I'm speaking with Wynn Olson at her kitchen table in Rowland, Pennsylvania. We're on the shores of the Lackawaxen River. It is racing by today. And I'm just, how many miles outside of Hawley am I right now? We're about 13 miles outside of Hawley, downstream from Hawley. And we are 13 miles downstream of Hawley, Pennsylvania. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Wynn Olson. I'm here at my kitchen table on the shores of the Lackawaxen River in Rowland, Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, this is, has been a place that I have come to all my life. And uh, I am the third generation of my family to have come here. And uh, recently, a member of our fifth generation has just dipped his toes in the Lackawaxen River. And we all love it and uh, hope that um, many other people will get to enjoy the beauty of this place. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Eva Cassidy, Wade in the Water. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. I'm Daryl Brogdon. We're at the Underground Martini Bunker again to hear the music that's always shaken.
not stirred. We're here with the Retro Cocktail Hour every week on WJFF Radio Catskill in Jeffersonville, New York. And you are most welcome to join us. Wednesday night at 8 on Radio Catskill. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Well, it's that time of year again. We're in the Sullivan County Catskills. We celebrate the opening of trout season. I admit I'm glad I'm not in the camper this year because it's very cold. It's in the low 30s. It's snowing. There's icy rain. And I can speak to you from the comfort of being adjacent to my wood stove. But I went into the cupboards of Trailer Talk to share the following road session from the archives. April 1st is the opening day of the trout fishing season in New York State, and fisher folk gathered at dawn. This year it was relatively warm in the 50s and clear, leading to a sunny springtime day. It's there that they cast their line into the legendary Junction Pool in Roscoe, New York. This nexus of eastern fly fishing in Roscoe, Trout Town, USA, is located 120 miles northwest of New York City in the foothills of the Catskills. This is the only place in the world where at the Junction Pool, at the convergence of the Beaverkill and Willow Weemock Rivers, that folklore tells the tale of the two-headed trout that appeared in these magical waters so she could look down both rivers and contemplate her direction as the mystic currents there caused her and all trout to slow down at that location, of course, pleasing the waders. It's fly fishing season in the Catskills. This is Sullivan County, New York, and we are in the very epicenter of the fly fishing sport. We have the most beautiful streams, the rivers, the Beaverkill, the Willoweemock, and others that are coursing through this county. So as I'm listening to the Fisk Brook outside the windows of my house, I am thinking of those waders out there, of those people, those fisher fishermen, and that first lady of fly fishing, Joan Wolf, who are still out there during the season, which opens on April 1st. And I was fortunate to be there with Trailer Talk. So in thinking about water, the streams, the rivers, these amazing bodies that flow through these mountains. Please share with me some of the conversations I had on that opening day. Being Trout Town, USA, then. It's a tradition that we all gather here on April 1st, whether there's snow or rain or ice. There's been plenty of snow in the past. That's right. Today was... <laughs> remarkably beautiful for April 1st, but um, it's a tradition that was started actually uh, with the two-headed trout dinner uh, being the night before the season, and it was always celebrated down at the Antrim Lodge, which was an old lodge here in town, and from what they feel, it was about the 50s when a group of local fishermen and press writers from out of New York City used to come. Yeah. And they would uh, sit around Keener's Pool, which was actually the bar at the Antrim. And that started the tradition. And so the chamber took it over about 10 years ago, the two headed trout dinner. And uh, that has grown into a very nice uh, fundraiser for the town. For the town of Roscoe. Mm-hmm. And when did this Junction Pool event begin? Do you remember? Well, how? that's the story of the two headed trout. The. Uh, a writer back in many years ago, they got talking and they got uh, talking about the junction pool, a junction of the beaver kill and the willow weemock. And tradition was born that a trout came up to junction pool and he couldn't decide which river to go up, the willow or the upper beaver kill. 
and so he grew two heads. And what is his name? He's just the two-headed trout. The two-headed trout? <laughs> have either of you, DEC Officer Scott Steingart or Miriam Stone, have you seen this two-headed trout? Absolutely. You have? Yes. He doesn't tell me where it comes up. But I, I haven't would, seen it. <laughs> I would love to see the two-headed trout. Well, that makes sense that Officer Steingart, you've seen it because you spend so much time uh, in the in the river and around the time. rivers, right. and that trout knows you're protecting them, aren't you? So, <laughs> and Miriam Stone, for Roscoe, the town that you live in and that you're so dedicated to, what are some of the goals? That, that you see for the near future of Roscoe? I think our, our near future is just bringing more uh, tourists to town. Uh, the fishermen are just a start because we are in a, an area that is absolutely beautiful. We have the rivers and we have the mountains. We're getting more and more second home people here from the city. Uh, and we really want to become a destination place for weekenders tourist, whatever. And some of the money that we make through the chamber goes towards beautification of the town. Uh, we also work with the streams around here. Uh, we do some stocking of fish. We plant trees along the riverside to stabilize banks. We're protecting our own environment, and that's our most important thing. Well, thank you, Miriam Stone, and thank you, Scott Steingart. I'm speaking with Officer Scott Steingart, who is with the DEC, and Miriam Stone, who is the president of the Catskill Fly Center and Museum and also very involved in the Roscoe Chamber of Commerce. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank have you. a good day. Thank yep. you. Artel, and I am here with Trailer Talk on the site of Junction Pool, which is where the Willowemock and the Beaverkill River join. I've been seeing of people who have come this morning, some to take part in the celebration. They're not fly fisher people, but they love the event, the reunion of it. Other people who are just passionate fly fisher men and women. I see Terry Schultz and Rip Torn outside the windows of my trailer. I'm looking forward to speaking to them both and finding out how that start of the fly fishing season went. It's a beautiful, beautiful day for fly fishing. It rained from 3 to 5 a.m. this morning. It has stopped. It is just a a day of real celebration and excitement as people start this season. And I see the first lady of fly fishing outside the windows of my trailer, Joan Wolf. Welcome. It is really a pleasure to speak with you. Hi. Well, thank you for coming to our ceremonial opening here. <laughs> well, you're, you're very, very welcome. You are highly respected. You are the creator of techniques and theories of fly fishing. And along with your husband, Lee Wolf, you really have shaped 
modern fly fishing. Oh, I would say Lee-shaped modern fly Lee, fishing. Lee yep. did, and he was the yep. creator of catch and release was, and this idea of that. He said a good game fish is too valuable to be caught only once. So what is the connection to that and preservation and the connection with fly fishing to environmental concerns? And Well, the... And I see you're emptying your pockets. Yeah, well, Why don't you tell me what's coming out of those no, well, pockets? Well, no, I was just trying to find a place to put the, my glasses, and I've got all kinds of things that I forgot <laughs> were in here. But um, trout can only live in clean water, and so that immediately means that you've got to keep the water clean. And, and so the trout fishermen are, are very involved with conservation efforts, with pollution, with, uh, you know, if, if we have floods, and we always will, then they come and they plant trees and that sort of thing. I'm speaking with Joan Wolf. So we were talking about the connection to the environment and what the needs of the trout are. Right. They have to have clean water. And, and the other wonderful thing is that, that clean water is usually in beautiful places, and so fly fishing and trout fishing take you to beautiful places. So trout need clean Water, water, yes. In order to survive. And they also need a good insect life. And so the, those are other facets of the whole uh, picture that uh, conservationists can get involved with. We also we plant trees along the river so that the, the leaves go in and make good uh, bottom for the nymphs. The, the uh, early stages of these aquatic insects can live there. And so that's what the trout are feeding on. There are... We call them nymphs, we call, and we, we have categories. We have mayflies, caddisflies. They're all different shapes. They have different life cycles, but they're all approximately one year long, and at the fish feed on them on the bottom of the okay. river. And then in the spring, what we're looking for now is for these little bugs to come to the surface and change from submarines to flying airplanes. They come, and they, they come up and they break out of their shells, and their wings unfold, and then they drift down the river, and the trout take them, eat them, as they're drifting down the river. And we imitate those flies with, with artificial flies. With the, with the artificial flies, so you're either... Imitating. Im, yeah. So you're imitating it, and there's a technique where you're fly fishing either on top or yes. submerged in, in the yes. water? Yes, yes. You can fish at all different levels. And again, because of the insect life, that determines where the fish are feeding. Okay. Right. So when the weather's colder, they're going to be feeding on the bottom. And then as these, we call them hatches, as the little insects come to the surface and become able to fly and mate and die all within about 24 hours and lay their eggs and die, I should say. Uh, that's, that's the magic of this whole thing. And that's what we get involved with. Joan Wolf, how did you become involved with fly fishing to start with? And you are the most well-known. Well, I'm most well-known because I've been, a long, a, I've been a, around the longest. I started in 1937 in New Jersey. My dad was a fisherman, had an outdoor store, and was a member of a casting club. So I started out as a tournament caster at the age of 10 or 11. And then... And then that, that took me it from state championships to national championships. I actually went to Europe and competed. And then I had a dancing school in between, and, and that's how I could travel around to do this. But uh, then I became involved with a fishing tackle company. I really wanted to make a living in the fishing world, and you couldn't do it in the 50s is when I was trying to do it. You had to be a man, and you had to be a salesman. And so it was very, very tough. Uh, but I, I made some attempts and did some things and finally got a job with a Garcia Corporation, which was the largest fishing tackle manufacturer. And where was this? Uh, they were headquartered in New Jersey, but they sent me all over the country giving exhibitions and things like that. This is Sabrina Artel with Trailer Talk, and I have Joan Wolf in the trailer with me, without a doubt, the most renowned fly fisher person, woman. woman. Fisherman, either way. Fisherman or woman. Well, no fisherwoman. Person. No, person. <laughs> no person. Okay, so we've nixed that. So, fisherwoman, and you launched the season this morning uh -huh. at Junction Pool, and you were talking about how difficult it was in the 50s as a woman to make a living right. in the fishing business. In yes. the... So what happened? Well, I did work with Garcia. It was a part-time job, but then I got married and had kids, and so you know I didn't actually have to have a full-time job doing it, so I was always able to do something. 
in then uh, I married Lee Wolf, and we traveled uh, and made films for American sportsmen and for different companies, and, and traveled all the fly fishing, you know, to Europe and to uh, Central America and South America and so on. So I've, I've fished, you know, pretty much uh, almost everywhere there is, not everywhere. And did and, you? Would you say that your passion for fly fishing accelerated because of your marriage to Lee Wolf? Yes, absolutely, because I had more opportunity with him than I had had before, yes. And what is the magic that you were referring to before about fly fishing? What is the connection you feel in the river? The natural world. That When you're standing in a river, you're part of it. It's not cement. You're part of the river bottom. You feel the flow of the water. And when you hook a fish, you are actually feeling a life force of another creature. And that through the tackle that you use, we, you know, we, everything is light and it bends. And so you feel the, the fish's life force. And then you learn how to play it so that you don't hurt it. You get to bring it in as quickly as possible. And here you can look at a wild creature that you have been able to bring to yourself through an artificial fly. It's really magical that, that the fish takes this fly and you can bring him to you, look at him, and put him back and say, you know, go grow up, go spawn, whatever. And so that for me is magic. Yes. And, and it's a real world. It's not artificial. And Joan, at this stage in your fly fishing career, mm -hmm. what is it that you're most interested in? What is it that you're working toward? Well, uh, I have a mission, which is to bring more women into the sport. And I am, I'm working with the uh, Winston Rod Company, and I have a couple of rods with my name on them that have smaller grips with a little groove in the thing so that a woman's hand fits on there. One of the reasons there's so few women of my generation in this field is because the rods were too heavy and the grips were too f thick. And you get cramps in your hand. You say, this is no fun. I don't, I'll go read a book, you know. So, so I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying to educate men to know that women need lighter tackle. They can't, we don't have the same strength. So I am doing this partly through my school. Lee and I started a school in Lou Beach in 1979. It's still going strong. And it's the Wolf School of Fly, fly Fishing. fishing. And yeah. you also have a line, uh, the Royal Wolf Products. That's right. Triangle Taper Line, which is a, another design of Lee's. A different, it's designed differently from other uh, lines. And so it's, fly fishing is basically my life. I write. I've written three books. I wrote a column for a magazine for 22 years for Fly, fly Rod and Reel. I'm trying to revise my first book, so it's the, you know. And what is the title of your first book? Uh, Joan Wolf's Fly Casting Techniques. So you're revising that now. Okay. Yes. And what are some of the names of the flies? Well, Lee invented the Royal Wolf, which is uh, what I was using this morning. It is not an imitation of anything. We call it an attractor. And he used to say, well, you know, the fish doesn't know what it is. It, to us, it looks like maybe it would look like a, a, a chocolate sundae with strawberry sauce. And so the fish is curious, and he knows if he doesn't, all he can do is put his mouth on it to find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Lee did others, uh, white wolf and, and gray wolf and so on. But we have Hendrickson's, and we have uh, Quill Gordon's. And we have a whole series of flies which are based on those hatches I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and so they, you can pretty well tell which ones are going to come first, second, third, fourth, through the months of April, May, June, I see. and so on. Yeah, we have, and we have small little blue-winged olives that are around for a good part of the year. Joan Wolf, do you still make these flies? I don't make, I don't tie flies. Okay, so you, no. you don't. No, you... but I was lucky I had a husband who did. <laughs> okay, so at this point, is there someone that you go to? that the work is... You mean the time to... to uh, you know, I, I would like to say yes. I would like to say yes. Right. I go to Mary Deddy, uh, who's our wonderful tire here. But I, I have so many flies in my house. Oh, you do? From my, Lee Wolf? From uh, well, your from, ev well, from everybody. I mean, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. And, and you, you go out, and your vest may have 200 flies in it. And okay. you end up using, you know, three or four in a day, something like that. But it's all part of the... The uh, trappings, I would say, of fly fishermen. You have more flies than you need because you never know which one you're going to need. <laughs> and they are beautiful. They and are. they're all very yeah. unique from the other. I've seen some this morning in the trailer. People have yeah. brought them in. Oh, and you have See? a box of flies. See, this kind of thing. 
And you have those yeah. are incredible. So there could be over a hundred in Ab this box. Yes, absolutely. There's another layer here. Another too. layer, right. and oh, and they are there all all different shapes and right. colors and sizes, and they do look like insects. And some of them have a little bead head, which means that they will sink. And so I was using a royal wolf this morning, and then I had a little dropper, like an extra foot and a half of leader with one of those little bead heads on, thinking, well, if they're not on top, they might take underneath. But that I, is I didn't connect. incredible. And, Joan, you were speaking of your interest at this point in your career of attracting more women mm -hmm. to the field, yes. to the sport yes. of fly fishing. And are you doing this at your school, the Wolf School of Fly Fishing? Well, let me tell you that after Robert Redford's movie came out, A River Runs Through It, ever since then, that was 1992, I've had more women than men in the school. Oh, because they saw all these handsome men out there in the woods, and I used to have them all to myself. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to share them. Now I have to share them, yes. <laughs> that is but it's been funny. wonderful to see women yes. coming in, because they can they have as much passion as a man about it. They now are able, you know, because of the way the world has gone, they can now afford to go places, hire guides, to have the best of it, just like men can. So it's, it's well, I'm glad I've lived this long to see it. Yes, and Joan... What has kept you here? The fishing school here. So it is the it, fishing school yes. specifically. But I do go to, um, well, I, also I, I have a place in Florida okay. uh, from which I've just returned. And there's another whole world of saltwater fishing. Okay. For, it's called flats fishing where you it's like hunting. You don't cast until you see a fish. Oh. And so we're talking about bonefish, tarpon, permit. So that's another whole world. Uh, and, and that, so yeah. you spend part of your year in uh, three months down in Florida. Yeah, it's uh, not the best time to be there okay. because it's winter. But uh, I have I, two years ago I caught a tarpon that weighed about 125 pounds, which is the largest of my career. So you know, thinking at age 77, that's not bad. <laughs> no, not not no. not bad at all. Yeah. Joan, do you have a favorite spot here in the Catskills that you like to go? To fish, is that something you could share with me <laughs> and everyone else? <laughs> well, I, I'm fortunate in fishing, uh, in being able to fish on the upper Beaverkill River. You know, I'm so busy that I tend to have to leave home to fish. And so, <laughs> so but here, uh, you know, it's either the upper Beaverkill, a particular pool, and I have two grandsons, and I've been able to introduce them to fly fishing, uh, you know, on, on the river up there. But okay. otherwise, I come if I'm driving along and, and just uh, see fish and fishermen, then I will join them. If Cairns Pool is one of the places, you know, that's famous, and where you can be four feet away from someone else and still have a fish to fish for. And I'm so, sure they're so thrilled when they find out it's you. You pull well, over <laughs> and, and join them. Well, not necessarily. Really? <laughs> Competition. <laughs> no, not, I don't mean that. But, right, uh, right. But I've never really been a natural-born fisherman, as I call them. I've had to learn. Uh, you know, people, naturally, natural fishermen have good, exceptional eyes, which I don't have, and they can look at a river and know exactly where a fish would lie. They have a predator instinct, and I don't have that. And so I've learned to fish through being able to cast. I can cover all the water and find out where the fish are, even if okay. I can't figure it out ahead of time. You know, so that's been my entree into this world. Incredible. Thank you, Joan Wolf. Thank you for joining me and for showing me your flies. you share that with me, one of those? A muffin. Yes, I made them. You did? I made them blueberry oh, and lemon poppy seed. Oh, great. Gosh, okay. really it was a pleasure, I'm and glad. I appreciate you taking your time. Well, we appreciate your being here and doing this. Great. Thank you so much, Joan. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh.
Joan Wolf has been speaking with me during Trailer Talk, and Rip Torn and Terry Schultz will be joining me in the trailer. I am here streamside at Junction Pool. Perhaps I'll see you at Junction Pool in those mystical waters, where if we're lucky, we'll receive a message from that ever-elusive, magical, two-headed trout. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. For more information, please go to the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum at www.cffcm.net. This program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts Individual Artist Program. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Talking Heads, Take Me to the River. Eva Cassidy, Wade in the Water. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. This Week in This American Life. What would be wrong with one channel that showed nothing but puppies acting the natural comedians and cuties that they are all day, every day? After 25 years as a businessman, one man starts from scratch to create a cable network with this theme song. Puppies, 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 puppies. The cutest, fuzziest radio story on earth. This week. Saturday at 6. Support comes from 
the law office of John Ferrara in Monticello, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial